And you can turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Malachi, chapter 3. As we're continuing our study of that book, the last Old Testament prophet. We see here one more response of the people to God, and then finally a little bit of faithfulness on their part. Malachi 3, we'll be reading verses 13 through 18. This is the word of God. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said, it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word the Lord stands forever. Let's pray that he would teach us this morning. Heavenly Father, you are faithful, and we believe in your faithfulness. We believe in the power of your word. We believe in the presence of your Holy Spirit. We pray that your faithfulness, your word, and your Holy Spirit would work together in our minds and our hearts this morning, that we would understand what you have for us to know, what you would have for us to live as we seek to be faithful in response to you. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. So recently I did a service project with the group that I work out with. Uh, We went to local YMCA and we were doing some light construction for them and clearing an old playground. And one of the guys that I work out with has, uh, as part of his job, he has access to a mini excavator, and he brought that thing, and oh boy, let me tell you, it's fun to drive a mini excavator, all right? There's, there, was a, there was me, a pastor, there's an accountant, there was a, an F-22 fighter pilot who was oddly excited to get into the excavator. I'm like, you fly planes for a living, man, but we all took a turn on that and, and had varying degrees of success as we tried to, you know, take this uh, playground apart and pull all the pieces out of the way. And, and it was like, this, I'm, do, I'm doing a pretty good job at this. Like, I'm not a professional, but I'm, I've got a handle on this. And then the guy who's the construction manager got in the seat. And you watch him use that, and it's like, have I ever used a machine in my life before? Because the skill with which he's moving it around and grabbing pieces and, and doing that kind of stuff, you kind of forget that there's someone here who knows what he's doing for real. This is the guy who should be in charge. 
we see a similar attitude going on here in Malachi, where these people are looking around at the world, and they're seeing what life is, is showing them, and they're like, God, do you know what you're doing? Shouldn't I be in charge? I think I have a better grasp on this situation, right? So far, we've seen how God is at work in different avenues and institutions and, and practices, but over and over again, God's people have responded in this way. But, but God, I know better. I have a better way. I see a, a clearer path. But finally, we see what it looks like for God's people to have a right response, to be faithful to Him, even as He has been faithful to them this whole time. And while some of God's people are forgetting who He is, what his character is like, what, what is his nature is like, the, the, the things that he has done for them, we see some people who are remembering that and trusting him as a result. Because when we remember God's faithful character, that leads us to faithfulness. In fact, remembering God's faithful character is essential to faithfulness. So what does it look like when we forget who God is and what does it look like when we remember who He is? That's what we're going to look at this morning. What does it look like when we forget who God is? And this initial response to God's question or to God's accusation is more in line with what we've seen so far in the book of Malachi. He says, you have, your words have been hard against me. And they say, how have we spoken against you? Right? as if God doesn't know. This, this idea of, of hard words is, is like insolent or, or harsh words that they have spoken against God. And the idea of, of them speaking, the, the, the words there don't exactly mean speaking at God. It's almost like they're, they're speaking with each other about God. They're getting together and they're having a gripe session about God. Instead of going to God with their concerns and with their struggles and with their, their pain, they're going to each other like, God, man, God's really dropping the ball on this. Just talking to each other, but speaking words against God. And they say, how have we spoken against you? And God, he, he knows, right? He has the receipts. He's, he's not in the dark about this. He tells them exactly the kinds of things that they were saying. Exactly the kinds of claims that they were making about God. He says, you said it is vain to serve God. It is empty. It is, it is pointless. There's, there's no purpose to it. There's, there's nothing there. I don't know how many of you have had the joy or pain of either giving or receiving a, a, a milkshake to a sibling saying, here, you can have everything that's left in this, and there's nothing in there. That's the kind of attitude they're saying, like, there is nothing in serving God. It's empty. It's pointless. They go on to say, what is the profit of serving God? There, there's, there's no return on investment. You put all this work in, you do all these things, you go through all the motions of mourning my sin and Israel's sin, yeah, yeah, we're all bad before God, and nothing happens as a result. You kind of get the idea that, that maybe they weren't actually doing the things that they were saying that they were doing, but, but even if they were, they're saying, we did everything well. And there's no reward. And that's what we see here, that these, these harsh words reflect this expectation that they had of God, that they expected an immediate and substantial reward for trusting God. 
They were viewing him kind of like this divine vending machine. I put my coins in, God. I pressed the buttons. Where is my stuff? Your expectations of God will inform and shape how you respond to him. Are you truly worshiping God? Or is he there to serve you? How do you respond when your health fails? How do you respond when your job is, is, is incredibly difficult or when it goes away? What are your thoughts and attitudes towards God when, when your closest relationships are fraught and filled with conflict? Maybe you are like these people in that you're going through the motions of mourning sin. God, I'm, I'm a sinner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my friends, my people, my church, we're all sinners. Okay, gimme, give gimme. Give See, faithfulness is not a vending machine. It's not a few little things that we just check off and then rewards, rewards, rewards. Faithfulness is, is, is a long, slow path of Hundreds and thousands and hundreds of thousands of little trusts in God. Where I trust Him with this, and I trust Him with this, and I trust Him with this, over and over again, looking to Him for what I need. That's why when my kids are praying, I'm more than happy to pray that we find Yuda the unicorn. Right? We don't know where she is. Yuda's gone somewhere, but I pray that we will find her. Right? I'm more than happy to pray for a boo-boo to feel better. Right? Because when one day they get that horrible news from the doctor, I want them to turn to God. Or one day when they are, are, are in deep conflict with their spouse, I want them to turn to God. Or when they are, are struggling in the midst of sin and they see no way out, I want them to turn to God. And we do that by practicing these, these little trusts to God over and over again. It's not a, a one-time deal. It's not a few little steps that we do. Faithfulness to God is a, a long-term, repeated trusting and trusting and trusting who He is. But that's not what we see here. They go on and say, evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. The accusation here is that God is either unjust, or he is unwilling, or he is unable to do anything about the injustice going on around him. There is evil. There's no no question about that. But they're saying, based on what I can see, God's not doing his job. God is not willing or able to enact justice. There are arrogant people. There are evildoers who openly defy him, who openly defy what he has ordained as right and true, and they're just getting away with it. This is the same kind of statement they were just making. It's vain to serve God. It's kind of the opposite. Look, if, it's, if it's, there's supposed to be profit in serving God, there's people who are not serving God, and they've got tons of profit. The problem with this is that it, it fails to account for all the data. They're, they're saying, well, based on my perspective, where I can see things from, here's what it looks like. But the problem is, that assumes you can see everything perfectly. 
And they don't have all the data. They don't, they don't see what God has coming in the future for those who are evil. They don't see God's current patience with evil. In fact, this statement itself, that evildoers put God to the test and escape, is itself an example of evil and arrogance. Sometimes when we think God is not doing what he should be doing, we assume that if I could influence God with my actions, things would be better for me. But if God's character, if God's plan, if God's purpose could be changed based on what we do, what makes you think that would be better for you? Because I know in my own heart, if I consider my own actions and what I do, it is a good thing that that does not shape God's response to me, that he is faithful in spite of that. These statements here are like Psalm 73 that we read earlier, except if Asaph had not gone into the sanctuary, had not gone to God with his concerns. These people are just throwing out these accusations to each other like God is just He is not who he said he was. He is not doing what he's supposed to be doing. And you may think, this is crazy. These people are arrogant, and I would never do that. I would beg to differ. We all do this because the problem that they have is the problem that I have. It's the problem that you have. We want to rule ourselves. I want to be in charge of me. I want to get what I want in the way that I want it, on the timetable that I want it. Maybe you've thought to yourself at your job or when it comes to government or at school if you're a student, if only they would listen to me, things would be different. If only I were in charge, if only my ideas were put into practice, things would be different. I can tell you right now, if I was in charge of everything, things would be different. Not necessarily better, but they would be different. It's telling, and it's, it's kind of harsh that we don't see God's response to these statements. He says, here's what you're saying, but he doesn't say, and here's what I have to say in response. We don't even see him address it. It's almost like he's just like, okay, this is what you think. Keep on thinking that. And that's, that is a judgment. We should be very scared when we are sinning, when we are in sin, and, and we're not confronted with it, when God himself or, or God through his people do not address our sin, that is a scary place to be. And on the flip side, when, when God and his people come to us and confront us with sin, we should welcome that as a grace because God is being faithful to say, this is not the right path. We don't see God do that here for these people. Instead, he provides this, this counterexample of those who feared the Lord. And this is what happens when we remember who God is. We see these people, and you kind of get the sense that it's not a large group of people. This is not the majority of Israel that has this response, these, these people who feared the Lord. It's, it's a remnant, but they do have the right response of, of fear of the Lord and, and trust in him and faith in him. It says, those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. 
This is the same kind of idea earlier. It's, they're speaking to each other. They're, they're conferring amongst themselves. Whereas before they were grumbling together about God, these people here are, are conversing with each other about who God is, reminding each other of, of him, ad- adoring him and worshiping him, sharpening and encouraging one another in their fear of the Lord. This is why it says in Hebrews 10 that we should hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, right? We're, we're all about that. We want to hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, but we do it because he who promised is faithful. And then immediately it says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. Do you want to know how to hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering? One, you had to trust in God, he who promises faithful, but also let us consider how to stir up one another. This, this mutual, uh, cooperative, encouraging one another, pointing each other, helping each other to remember who God is. And let, you have to get this. If you get nothing else this morning, you must have people around you doing this. You must have people around you pointing you to God encouraging you in the goodness of God, reminding you of what God has done in your life, reminding you of what God says in his word, challenging you when you are forgetting those things in word or in practice. This is part of why I love that we have this prayer time every Sunday before church. And even when my kids are running around and they're trying to color and they're trying to play cards on the chairs and it's like, have you ever sat still in your life before? They are sitting there and they are hearing People that they know, that they don't know, people from all walks of life, people of all different ages, looking to the same God for their hope. And they are being reminded, whether they realize it or not, over and over again, that God is faithful. God is faithful. God is faithful. And these people, those who feared the Lord, are also those described as esteeming his name. They're thinking on his name. They're, they're holding it in high regard. They're giving weight and value to it. And in Scripture, the name of God reflects his character, who he is. And so to, to esteem the name of God is to, is to say, God, we value who you are. We value what your characteristics are. And we trust in you. We look to you for our hope. See, we instinctively value what we trust. And we instinctively trust what we value. If we think that something can provide for us, we're going to give that more weight. If I think my, my comfort and my hope and my worth and my, my pleasure can be found in my house, I'm going to spend time repairing it. I'm going to make sure it looks the right way. I'm going to make sure all the furniture that I, I want is there. I got a nice TV. All that kind of stuff is going to go into that. If I think my, my salvation and my hope and my comfort and my worth is going to be found in my reputation, then I'm going to start doing things that make me look good around other people. I'm going to care what other people think about me, and I'm going to try to protect that. If I think that my protection and my safety and my hope is found in politics, then I'm going to care very deeply about what happens in the next election, and I'm going to yell at people that don't care about it as much as I do. Whatever we value indicates where our trust really is. 
In Hebrews 11, it says, Without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. And that's what we see in these verses, that God paid attention and heard them. This idea of God, God listening attentively. He's not just like, yeah, yeah, okay, you guys figured it out, check mark, A+. He's attentively listening. You get the idea that they're speaking to each other and God is listening in on their conversation, saying, yes, yes, you've got it. You understand. Not only that, it says that a book of remembrance was written before him. This is not that God needed a book, right? It's not that God's like, wait, 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 let me write this down, otherwise I'm going to forget it. God is going to remember no matter what, but, but there's this, this image of this book being written before him to emphasize the importance, how highly God is valuing this, how, how important this is that they understand that God will not forget them. This is the book of life that we read about elsewhere in Scripture that, that lists those who God's faithfulness will save. And, and in Scripture, when we talk about remembrance, it's not just mere intellectual recall. Oh, yeah, I remember that happened. I remember, remember that fact. Remembrance is this idea of recall tied to action. I am going to do something as a result of remembering what happened or remembering that person. And so we see that God is going to do something as a result of remembering these people. We see in Revelation chapter 3, he says the one who conquers, that's the one who who persists in faith to the end. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. That's Jesus talking. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Jesus is going to stand up in the community of heaven before God and say, God, Father, Timothy John Schley, he's mine. He belongs to me and he has from the beginning of time. Jesus is personally going to confess the name of those that he is faithful to. Maybe you have someone who never abandons, who always helps, that person that you can always depend to. How good a feeling it is to know, I can always look to this person. But then when you really think about it, there's been a few times where they haven't measured up, where they haven't been there. Not Jesus. He never abandons. It says in verse 17 that they shall be mine. They shall be my treasured possession. This is echoing language that God used for Israel in the Old Testament where he says, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples for all the earth is mine. I own everything. It's all mine. But you shall be my treasured possession. They treasure God. They treasure who he is. They treasure what he's done, and so he treasures them. But it's not they treasured him, so he treasures them. He has been there. He has been faithful from the beginning. Even when when the, the cynics were saying these things against God, he was there. He was available for them. They could have turned to him in faith. 
God has been here. His faithfulness precedes our faithfulness. I recently cleaned out my, my personal email inbox, not, not my church one, don't get any ideas, but I, my personal email inbox had gotten up over 500 unread emails. Some of you guys, people are like, 500? Some of you guys are like, 500? I got you beat by thousands, right? I cleaned it, I, I got tired of it, I just cleaned it all out. I got all the way down to inbox zero, or pretty close, right? But the thing that I realized is, if you're going to keep that in, inbox clean, you have to be ruthless, you have to be on top of it. I'm getting marketing emails. I'm getting emails from, from people all over the place. I'm getting bills. I'm getting all this kind of stuff. And I just got to be in there daily, knocking stuff down, unsubscribing, unsubscribing, unsubscribing. How did I even get on that mailing list? Why are you sending me another all this time, doing all this work, trying to keep this up? Sometimes we think that's what faithfulness to God is. Hey, God wiped the slate clean, but now you better keep going. But that's not the case. God is the one who has been there from the beginning. God is the one who is faithful to us. We are looking to him. That's why Asaph can say in Psalm 73, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That's why Paul can say in 2 Corinthians that God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. The fact that we can't maintain faithfulness is not, is not something that surprises God. He's known from the beginning who we are. When he created people, and he, he knew the fall was going to happen. And when they, they fell, he, he provided for them coverings, and he provided for them children. And when they became so sinful that he decided to, to wipe out all of humanity, he provided one man and his family a way to survive and to protect all of creation. And when again God's people turned from him and were enslaved, he provided a way out, and he protected and he preserved them. And he gave them a promised land. And when they, they lived in that land and started to, to exhibit all the sinfulness of all the people around them over and over and over again, and they said, we want a king, not you, God. We want a, we want a human king. And he warned them. And again, they, they sinned over and over and over again with, with various kings in various ways. And he gave them hundreds of years of opportunities. And then he exiled them because of all the sin that they had built up. But he brought them back as a remnant. And still, when the people of God returned from him, he sent his son to teach them. And they, they were so offended that God might be in their midst that they killed him. But he turned even that act to good. As he put the weight of all sin of all God's people for all time on Jesus. That immense sacrifice. God is faithful again. Even today, after Jesus has been raised to new life, as a sign of the new life that we have, he's given us his Holy Spirit that he is ever present with us. And so what you need to ask yourself is what has God been doing in your life recently? 
Because God is at work. God is at work in his own faithfulness. God is at work even in the secondary faithfulness of his people. What is he at work in your life doing? Maybe you hear that question and you're like, I I don't know. I haven't given it any thought. Maybe you hear that question and you're like, oh my goodness, let me list the ways. But that's something you need to consider, and you need to surround yourself with others who help you consider what has God been doing in your life recently? What is God at work doing? One of the primary responses to God's faithfulness that we should have is thankfulness. Paul talks about how we should be singing songs together with thankfulness in our hearts to God as we all point each other to what God has done, because thankfulness is poison to the cynicism that we see from God's people in this book. Over and over again, they say, God, I know better. I know what I'm doing. I'm going to handle this. Thankfulness, though, says maybe I didn't know better. Maybe I don't have this. Maybe, God, I need you. Thank you for giving me what I need. Because it can be hard. Even in this passage, we see these people like confused about what is going to happen. Why are the evildoers getting away with things? It can be easy to become cynical looking around at the world around us. But God says, once more, you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve them. Sometimes it can be hard to see, but one day it will not be hard to see because the same God who is faithful in mercy is also faithful in justice. So what do we do? What do we do with this? The beauty of God's work is that he is faithful, that he is constant, that he is doing things independent of us, that his love, that his his adoration, that his care for his people is, is unconditional. It's not complex. It's very simple and straightforward. It is now and forever. And the invitation for us is to turn him. Not to do something else, not to demonstrate our faithfulness, not to put more coins into the vending machine, but to remember who he is and to turn to him in trust and faith. Let's pray that we would do that. Heavenly Father, you are faithful. You are constant. You are working in ways that we don't know, in ways that we will not know until we are in glory with you. But your faithfulness is great. Your love is never-ending. Father, we throw ourselves upon that love. We throw ourselves upon that mercy. Help us not to forget who you are. Help us not to forget all that you have done for us. Help us to remember and to fear you, to trust you, to throw ourselves upon your mercy. We pray this in the precious name of Christ. Amen.